Good morning. Welcome to church. And uh, those of you who are watching uh, in the hall next door and online, um, so good of you to join us. And um, we do have space on Sundays, so please come and join us in person as much as you can. It really is something special. Even if we can't sing, it was fun to be able to clap along to 1098 God is Great, right? So there are little things that we can do along with each other. Um, I want to ask you a question to maybe just spend half a minute talking to, in a COVID-safe way, to the person next to you or around you. Um, and it's, the question is this, can you think of something that everyone, or almost everyone, can do naturally, all right, even kids, something that everyone can do naturally, and yet it's something that you can learn to do better? Right, what's something that everyone almost can do naturally, but it's something that you can learn to do better, and maybe if you did learn to do a bit better, it, it increases your enjoyment of it or your effectiveness in it. Right, have, a, have a chat about it. What's something that everyone can do naturally, but it is something you can also learn to do better. Why don't you do that for 30 seconds or so? I'm, I'm told running. I mean, everyone knows how to run, but if you want to run better, uh, there are certain ways to, I don't know, it's what Marshall tells me, he, he's a runner. Um, okay. Praying is a bit like that, isn't it? I mean, praying is so natural. All religions of all cultures have some form of prayer. If you're a follower of Jesus, especially, your, your Christian life begins with prayer. And yet, even Jesus' disciples had to ask Jesus. Remember, they asked Jesus just before he teaches them the Lord's Prayer. He, they actually asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. See, prayer is something that you can learn to do better. And the best way to learn to pray better is, well, with the actual prayers that are in the Bible. Um, see, if you are praying God's Word, then here's the really great thing. You're not just praying to God, you're praying with God. And that's what we want to do in these, uh, this sermon series that is coming up, starting from this week. We want to increase your, it's like increasing your vocabulary, Right? Um, if you increase your vocabulary in, in whatever language you speak, it helps you express yourself better. You speak gooder, right? And better. And so these prayers that we're going to look at in the Bible will give you a greater vocabulary to express all kinds of things that we experience in life. Now, we're going to start this week with lament. What is lament? Lament is a song or a prayer of sorrow, to express grief and sadness. Now, you might be thinking, why are we starting with lament and, and then ending with praise? Shouldn't it be starting with praise like we do at the beginning of our service? Now, I'll give you three really quick reasons. Number one, it's because it's 2020, all right? There's, there's so much that we could be uh, reasonably lamenting about. A second reason is this. The logic of the book of Psalms, um, those prayers and songs of the Bible, is actually mostly lament at the beginning and then praise at the end. There's a, there's a, the pattern starts with mostly lament and ends with praise. And then the third reason is this. We need more help to express sorrow than praise generally, don't we? Yeah, Praise is sort of more natural. But the nature of grief, if you've ever gone through it, is it leaves you often without the right words to express. So, I, I, you know, that for those reasons, we're going to start with lament. Uh, and we're going to start with hearing a particular lament prayer. There's lots of them in the Bible. We're going to go to Psalm 42 and 43. And uh, I didn't, we didn't have it read out earlier because I want to read it out now. I'm going to get Manchun behind me to play some music because, again, this is originally a song. 
We won't see it, but we will read it. And it's okay if you want to I mean, keep your Bibles open or on the app, but um, it might be good for you to just hear it. All right, so MC, you want to start playing? And let me read out Psalm 42. And uh, the reason I'm doing Psalm 42 and 43 is originally it was one. And you can, you can see that very clearly in a moment. So Psalm 42. For the director of music, a masculine of the sons of Korah, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the Mighty One, with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Saviour and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, Where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Saviour and my God. Vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning oppressed by the enemy? Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the lyre. O oh God, my God, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Saviour and my God. Let's pray. Father, we pray that even through these ancient words of lament, You might speak to us afresh to give us words that we might need for our sorrow and our grief. Amen. All right, um, there's an outline that you can find online. It's also going to be on the overhead. We have uh, three things that I'm going to go through. Um, because as you can tell from what we've just read earlier, these two psalms are structured around a repeated chorus, if you like. Like any song, it's got a chorus. Like a lot of songs, it's got a chorus. Verse 5, verse 11, and chapter 43, verse 5. The why my soul are you downcast, why so disturbed within me? That's the chorus. So the bits before it are the three sections. So it opens with firstly longing or if I had to paraphrase that first section, it's the something is wrong section. Something is wrong. Uh, and it opens with an image a little familiar to us. If you remember what it's like very recently to go through drought, you know, the images of, of poor, skinny, emaciated animals just longing for a drink. Well, we've got here a lone deer panting and thirsting for water. 
What the writer or the psalmist wants is to drink the waters of God's presence. He wants to meet with God, we read. And and he's he's like someone who's lovesick and separated from their loved one. And you may have experienced that during this pandemic. The psalmist is lovesick for God. Now, a little bit of background. We know from the heading that this is not a psalm of King David. A lot of the psalms are, but this isn't one. It's a psalm by um, the sons of Korah. They were a, a group of professional musicians that served the people of God at the temple. They led and rallied God's people in songs of praise and worship. They were the Hillsong United of their day. Right? They can also, we can also glean that this psalmist is writing this years and years, probably, after King David. Um, likely, um, they're in exile, all right? When God's people were carried away, far away from their land and their temple, and in verse 4 there, the, the praise and the worship of the temple is but a distant memory. That's maybe what's going on in the background. And so he feels not only lovesick, but he feels homesick as well. And so verse 3, instead of the refreshing waters that he longs to drink, what is he drinking instead? He's swallowing his tears. My tears have been my food day and night. And his sorrow is made all the more intense because those around him are questioning him, maybe even mocking him. Where is your God, they ask. And then the first time we hear that chorus at the end of the first section, why my soul are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Now we'll come back to the chorus and the importance of that at the end. But this is the first section. It's longing. It's that something is really wrong. And I hope you're getting a feel for it. Right? This is sorrow. This is grief. Now, the word for downcast in the... Um, and the chorus, why my soul you downcast? Literally, that word means um, to be dissolved, to be melted, to be annihilated. It's a very visual word. The, the word to be disturbed. Why so disturbed within me? It, it literally means to be stirred up, right? To be in turmoil. You see, when we grieve and we grieve hard, there is that paradox of weakness and energy. You ever experienced that? There's the weakness because you feel sapped. Everything is slipping away. That's the downcast word. But then yet there's this energy because your mind and your heart is in constant turmoil, isn't it? The writer C.S. Lewis put it like this when his wife died. No one ever told me that grief felt so like fear. I am not afraid, but the sensation is like being afraid. The same fluttering in the stomach, the same restlessness, the yawning. I keep on swallowing. At other times, it feels like being mildly drunk or concussed. There's a sort of invisible blanket between the world and me. I find it hard to take in what anyone says, or perhaps hard to want to take it in. It's so uninteresting. Yet, I want the others to be about me. I dread the moments when the house is empty. If only they would talk to one another and not to me. Right? Such honest words about grief. And I wonder if you've ever felt like that. Or maybe you're feeling it right now. Well, the second section, overwhelmed. This is what I like to call the I'm really trying to hang on section. Um, so you go from feeling this longing, something is wrong, to feeling overwhelmed. Something is, it's like drowning is the image in this second section. Now in verse 6, you've got uh, geographical references. This is the reason why we think they're in exile, far away. See, Mount Hermon 
is right up the north, at the northernmost border of the land of Israel. It's actually the source of the Jordan River. If you know the geography a little bit, the Jordan River is like a spine that runs right through, right down uh, the land of Israel. And so this person is right up the north, far from Jerusalem, far from the temple. He wishes that he was on the mountain of God, Zion, the temple, near where the Jordan ends, in fact, but he's at the opposite end, isn't he? He's at the mountain where the Jordan River begins. He's totally on the other end. And there, as he watches the water gushing from up high on these mountain peaks, it's a picture of actually how he's feeling. The waterfalls roar and pound on the rocks, and he feels pounded and pulled under by how he's feeling. A commentator I read put it like this, he had longed for the waters of refreshment, but somehow in the effort to remember God, he had unleashed the primeval waters of chaos, which seemed to depict so powerfully his terrible situation. But even in the midst of feeling overwhelmed, you see that he remembers God. Verse 6, I will remember you. Verse 8, by day the Lord directs his love, at night his song is with me. He's feeling abandoned, but he's, he knows he's not totally abandoned. And yet, like a, a person trying to stay afloat, in the choppy seas, his feelings flip again. So verses 9 and 10, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? My bones suffer mortal agony. And the second section is like this. This is the, I'm really trying to hold on section, remember? It's like you're drowning, you're being pulled under, you come up for air. But then after you take a breath, you'll pull down under again. And it just keeps happening again and again, up and down. And that emotional seesaw, again, if you've been through grief, that's what it feels like sometimes, doesn't it? Well, the final section is the appeal. That's Psalm 43, or I call it the please God section. He ends with a heartfelt appeal. But it's not a gentle please, a soft knock at the door. He's almost kicking the door down, isn't he? Um, you see there, there's a series of different verbs, one after the other. This is Psalm 43 now. Vindicate me, he says. Literally, judge. God, bring justice. Plead my cause. Come to my defense. He's desperate for God to both be his judge as well as his lawyer. Rescue me. Save me. Be my stronghold and fortress. Be my light. Lead me. All right, one after the other of these kind of verbs. By the way, you may not have ever deliberately, consciously prayed a prayer of lament. But you know, if you've ever cried out in suffering, in desperation, if you've ever said, help me God, when you had no other words to say, or please God, that's actually really at the heart of it, a lament prayer. You see it here. And because this lament closes uh, with Psalm 43 and not just Psalm 42, this is why it's important to read both Psalms together, because if you end with Psalm 42, it just looks totally bleak. But no, you look, read on to Psalm 43, you see that there is a light at the end of the tunnel, don't you? Because it ends with hope that God will take the psalmist to the place he longed to be. In the first section, remember, he wanted to be at the holy mountain of the Lord. He wanted to be at the dwelling place of God with God's presence. And that's where he hopes God will take him. He trusts that he will be at the altar and the presence of the one he delights in and longs to worship. And then we end with the chorus again. And that's pretty much it. So let's now pause a little bit or slow down a little bit and think about what this lament teaches us about how to better lament ourselves. Remember, we're trying to gain a vocabulary for our prayers. So the two things I want you to really think about and notice 
are honesty and remembering. Firstly, honesty. You see, this psalm shows us that it's important to lament and lament well. Because lamenting is a way to be honest. And we need to be firstly honest with ourselves when we are experiencing grief. Because here's the thing about grief, right? Grief has a tendency to hide itself in other feelings and other states of mind. Grief often hides itself in anger and fear, just feeling numb, dissatisfaction, confusion, restlessness, depression, anxiety, even physical symptoms like chronic pain or insomnia or illnesses. So among the most difficult things when we're grieving is actually to be honest with ourselves at just how much we're struggling. And so when we use laments of the Bible like this one, it can actually help us realize and express how deep and raw our struggles really are. That we actually might be longing like a person desperately thirsty. Or that tears might actually just constantly be flowing, try as we might to stop them. Or feeling that there's so much injustice and pain from the words of others. Or the sorrow of remembering how good it used to be. Or that feeling of you know, being annihilated, just so spent, so weary. But alongside the churning and the turmoil and the twisting that never stops in your heart and your mind. Or the feeling that you're being dragged under and drowning. That your breath is being crushed right out of your lungs. That even your body aches and your physical well-being is affected. Right? Laments like this help us realize that this is what's going on, to be honest. So I wonder, are you honest like this when you struggle? Whatever it is that you're going through right now or whatever it was that you've gone through previously. See, the first state may just be realizing that beneath all the other stuff on the surface, like anger and restlessness, is grief. See, we can use this and other prayers of lament to help us be honest with ourselves. But then even more importantly, we, it helps us to be honest with God. You see, sometimes we don't tell God exactly how we feel because we're afraid that we might, you know, offend God or cross a line with God. Now, let me suggest to you that not only is God big enough to hear our complaints and venting, it's actually more hurtful to Him and to ourselves if we withhold it. Because the thing about grief is that grief must be expressed and vented. See, either we will express it honestly to God or we will find some other way, right? That other way may be that you end up complaining to everyone else but God. And so what happens is we distance God when we actually need Him the most. But it may even be that we're venting our grief in other way more destructive ways. In idols and addictions, in rage and anger, maybe even abuse towards someone else, or maybe even abuse and harm to yourself. See, laments are important because they help us be honest to God. I mean, this psalmist, notice how honest he is to God. Verse 9, he says to God, why have you forgotten me? Right, chapter 43, verse 2, he says, Why have you rejected me? Have you ever said those words to God? 
I think most people I talk to who are grieving feel like, no, that's crossing a line. I can't say that to God. Why have you abandoned me? Why are you rejecting me? Right? He is so honest about feeling abandoned. He is not afraid to tell God about it. Again, let me quote C.S. Lewis. He was dishonest in the same book where he writes about his grief over his wife's death. He rewrote this. Go to God when your need is desperate, when all other help is in vain, and what do you find? You find the door slammed in your face and the sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside, and after that, silence. C.S. Lewis was so honest about feeling the absence of God. I wonder if you've ever felt that. Now, some of you maybe have never really felt real grief. Don't worry, it's coming. But I, I suspect for a lot of you, you have. Is this something you're feeling now? Is it time to be honest with yourself that this is actually how you feel and be honest enough to God and tell Him that this is how you feel? If you don't have the vocabulary to do that, the laments are a great one to help us. But finally, biblical laments help us remember. Uh, this is, in fact, remembering is a theme throughout this whole two Psalms. Remember section 1 in verse 4, he firstly remembers what it used to be like in God's presence at the temple. In section 2 in verse 6, he commits himself to remember God, even far away in exile. He says, my soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you. Section 3, Psalm 43, doesn't use the word remember. It's actually, the whole appeal to God is actually asking God to remember him. Is he remembering is really important, and it's not just important here, it's actually important in the whole Bible. In the, whole, in the Old Testament, it, the, the, the word remember occurs about 350 times. And, and it means more than just an act of nostalgia, like looking through old photos, all right? Remember in the Bible, God tells his people to remember as in to actively call to mind, to act in light of what he's done for them in the past, his promises, his commandments, his covenant. That's what the, it's a bit like this. There is a difference between um, a couple looking at their wedding pictures and remembering their wedding. Like, oh, gee, look how nice we look, how young and pretty we used to look. Not speaking from experience or anything. There's a difference between that versus when a wife says to a husband who may be in danger of being unfaithful or straying, remember our wedding. Remember our marriage vows. You see the difference? One is an act of nostalgia. The other one is call to mind something that's important and act in light of it. And it's the second type that the Bible talks about. Suffering and grief especially makes it hard to remember, doesn't it? But when you're suffering, the suffering is all-consuming. When you're struggling, it's all you're thinking about all the time. Right, the psalmist, he, he says he's mourning day and night. His tears have been his food all day long. His foes taunt him all day long. And so it's especially important in those times to remember, to actively call to mind God, God's promises, God's goodness, God's track record. Which means that our remembering is actually possible because of God's remembering. In fact, that's what the remembering idea in section 3 is all about. See, when biblical laments cry out to God to act, like in section 3, when they're pleading with God, please God, 
they're actually asking God, God, please remember. Now, it's not that God ever forgets anything, of course, but remember, because to remember in the Bible is to commit yourself to act in light of the past. God remembers when He acts in light of His promises. And that's why verse 8 of, chapter, of Psalm 42 is so precious in the midst of the psalmist. You know, this is the I'm struggling to hold on. I'm really trying section. He says in verse 8, By day the Lord directs His love. At night His song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Now, um, have a look at that verse again, because the word love there is the Hebrew word chesed, which is God's unfailing covenant Love, his faithful love. And it's often coupled with another Hebrew word, emet, which means faithfulness. Sometimes means truth, but here means faithfulness. So chapter 43, Psalm 43, verse 3, it comes up there. Send me your light and your faithful care. It's just one word there. It's the word emet. You put those two words together, especially when they occur in the Old Testament, God's chesed and God's emet, it's basically God remembering his promises. It's talking about God's unbreakable commitment to His people. And it's so unbreakable that it meant nothing less than sacrificing His own Son on the cross for us. So that no matter what we've done or how abandoned we feel, God will never actually abandon us. Because that's His commitment to us. See, how could He abandon us when His Son's death guaranteed that we would be forgiven in His forever. When Jesus on the cross cried His own words of abandonment, you remember? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22. Well, Jesus was actually really abandoned by God the Father in our place so that we would never be abandoned. This is what God is committed to to the degree of sending His Son on the cross. By the way, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, this is the God who loves you and is able to journey with you through no matter what you go through in a way that nothing else and no one else can ever deliver. So will you even today turn to Jesus? He's inviting you. Come and talk to me. Talk to Pastor Dom. Talk to one of the regulars if that's what you want to do. And that's why even in the depths of despair, there's always hope for God's people, right? For those of us who wait on God, remember God, because we can call on Him to remember us. We remember because God remembers. Which means that we have to actively take hold of the words of the psalm, and especially coming back to the chorus of the psalm. It's repeated three times. You know it's important. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. This is important, right? See, if we're to have any possibility of hope and praise at the other end of our lament, we have to apply the lessons of this chorus. And so you need to notice that the talking to your soul, your soul is speaking about your inner self, and doing it, talking to yourself in the midst of sorrow and grief, that is the key. Right? Being honest to yourself, honest to God, remembering all of that comes together in this chorus as the psalmist is now talking to his own soul. Now, got to admit, that sounds a bit odd at first, right? Talking to yourself, talking to your soul. In fact, if you look through this psalm, references to my soul is all throughout these psalms. 
The psalmist is constantly aware of his own soul, and now he's talking to his own soul. Now, why is that? Well, it's because when we suffer, all right, even if you're not aware of it, when you suffer, guess what? Your soul is always talking to you. Isn't it true? When you're going through suffering, that's where the turmoil is. Grief is so tiring because your inner self, your mind, it doesn't stop talking, does it? And so part of biblical remembering is to turn the tables on our souls. Rather than let our souls do all the talking, we need to talk to our souls instead. We need to tell our souls truth because it will often tell us lies. Some of you have grown up and have only known that voice in your head telling you lies. Things like, you're worthless, no one will love you, you're no good, you're horrible, you're dirty. And even though you've become a follower of Jesus, you've let it get away with that. And instead, this psalm teaches us that we need to Preach to ourselves. Have you ever done that? Preach to yourself. Remind yourself of God's truth. Actively remembering and speaking the truths of the gospel to yourself. Especially when you're struggling and suffering. No one put it quite as well as a a preacher called Martin Lloyd-Jones. So I'm going to end with this. In his book, Spiritual Depression... Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, and he's talking about these, this psalm, Psalm 42. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they start talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday, etc. Well, somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now, the psalmist's treatment was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why, my soul, are you downcast, he asks. His soul has been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. Why are you downcast? What business have you to be disturbed? And then you must go on to remind yourself of God, who He is, and what God is, and what God has done, and what God has pledged Himself to do. Then having done that, end on this great note. Defy yourself, and defy other people, and defy the devil and the whole world, and say with this man, I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. Let me close in prayer. Let's get the band up. I just want to take a moment to reflect on what God is saying to you this morning. Maybe for some of you, it's to give you words to be honest in a way that you've resisted or not been conscious of in your grief. Maybe you're not feeling much grief at the moment. But even then, there are things that God wants to remind you or teach you for when the troubled times come. The best time to arm yourself for hard times is not during hard times, it's before the hard times come.
So what will you remember from now, from, from today? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are so committed to love us and your promises. And nothing can separate us from that. So teach those of us who are grieving and will grieve ways to be honest to ourselves and to you through the wonderful words of this psalm. For we will yet praise you, our Savior and our God.